Welcome to the RAQA Cafe, a conversational podcast with a couple of hosts that spend each episode talking about regulatory affairs and quality assurance topics. NAMSA is happy to bring the RAQA Cafe to you, where each episode features NAMSA consultants and their experiences. Be sure to visit NAMSA at namsa.com for more information and access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us again today for another episode of the RAQA Cafe. Today's topic, we'll be discussing the refuse to accept policy. The purpose of this policy is to explain the procedures and criteria FDA intends to use in assessing whether a pre-market notification, for example, a facts and case submission, meets a minimum threshold of acceptability and should be accepted for substantive review. To discuss this topic with us, we have Dr. Angela Mallory. Dr. Mallory is the Principal Product Development Strategist at NAMSA with over 30 years of experience. Thank you, and please enjoy today's conversation. Rich, welcome again. We have episode two of the RQA Cafe. Um, hey, number two. Number and listen, I mean, I'm surprised that we made it to like number two, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> number one, we talked about that nervous energy of having to do this. So this week we have a great guest, Angela Mallory. Since I've started at NAMSA, she's been here. Everyone I spoke to at NAMSA mentioned that she has a wealth of knowledge. And we're looking forward to really like picking her brain or having a conversation about, you know, the refuse to accept policy for fighting case. We know that that's not the only thing that she could talk to us about. But just for this week, we just want to dive into that topic, get a better understanding of it and how this could impact clients going forward. And then for those that don't know, we're just going to give you a little brief history of it or brief this um, description of it. So the RTA checklist or the refuse to accept policy um, is something that FDA uses as a tool to determine if your fight and case submissions will be accepted for a substantive review. Accepted, not approved, because it's a simply a verification that is required of information that's included in your submission. There was a guidance that was, you know, brought out in 2019 that talks about the um, 510K refused to accept policy. And that was the idea we had for this podcast episode. How has that guidance, you know, been beneficial? Uh, and then we want to ask Angela, based on her experience, how has she found that guidance to be accept? I'm sorry, useful or not? Rich, off to you. Okay, well, Angela, you know, we, we like to start out with the really hard questions first. So I would really like to know, what are you drinking today? Today, I am drinking tea because I am on a stupid elimination diet to see what I am allergic to. And so I am off of coffee. So prepare to get, you know. That would be a terrible fate. I don't know if I could do without coffee. It is quite horrible. So I'm drinking five times as much tea. (laughs) I don't think that was what I was supposed to do, but... Well, I tried to get a little exotic today, so I myself, I'm drinking roasted coconut juice. So it's something my wife introduced me to. So it's not like coconut water. It really is like the juice, and it actually has like chunks of, of the coconut in there. So if you're a texture person, it might throw you off, but I like it. So It sounds like if you put some alcohol in it, it would be really good. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it doesn't for this, but... <laughs> But I'll keep that in mind off hours. <laughs> and Linford, <laughs> what are no, you drinking, Linford? I have some ginger tea. So I'm on the same bag with, with Angela, but it's ginger tea. Not that you've had it before. They come like little packets. Kind of just add water to it, and it's it's great. So if you're looking for anything to try, ginger tea. 
See, and Linford doesn't drink coffee normally. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> oh, we should try. We should try to get Linford on caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I need I need Linford to be the calm for me when we have our conversations. He's <laughs> easy going one, and so I like it. Um, so Angela, you know the the RTA checklist or the refuse to accept from the FDA seems like it's a great new tool. Or I shouldn't say new. It's been around for a little while, but it's, it seems like a great tool for for our clients to be using to prepare for submissions to the FDA. But I was hoping what we could start out with was what was life like before the RTA, and how has it gotten better since it's been, or has it gotten better since they've implemented it? Sure, sure. So I've been doing regulatory affairs for a, about a million years, and before the RTA came out. You know, there's been guidance documents from FDA on how to do 510Ks forever. And most companies have seen other 510Ks. There's the Freedom of Information Act and releasable 510Ks online. So you can see what other companies do. So that's what we used to do is, is just follow, follow suit, follow guidance documents, use common sense. There's also other documents out there that specify what goes into a 510K summary or what goes into instructions for use. So you cobbled things together and use best practices and a little bit of logic. So the RTA came out and we thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. We're going to be able to tick these boxes and just soar through through um, RTA because there never used to be an RTA before either. So you used to just submit and then FDA would come back with your questions. And they instituted the acceptance policy. 15 days after you get accepted, um, get your K number, FDA will tell you whether or not you're formally accepted or not. And the RTA has, what, 43 items on it, uh, lots of questions, lots of subheadings, things like that. And it is a good tool to use. And I say that with some hesitation because I have also had some horrible and interesting experiences with it, which, you know, stay tuned for those amazingly weirdnesses that you will see. But the tool is only as good as the person that uses it, right? Right. So you have an FDA reviewer that has a lot of experience. They're going to go, oh, I know what you mean here, right? I may have stated something wrong. Oh, I know what you mean. You have a new reviewer that's a tick the box person, and they're going to say, you forgot to put the words 510K summary on your 510K summary. I'm going to give that as an RTA. Not helpful FDA. In other aspects, it is helpful because I do review the RTA process every time I submit a 510K. So I don't do it because I've been doing them for a long time. I don't necessarily do it as I go along. But at the very end, I go through and I review and I check through things just to make sure something hasn't slipped my mind. It's it's that obvious thing sometimes that you forget because you, you're so familiar forest and the trees types of situations. So find them very helpful for that. And then just to go sideways for a little bit. So the, the RTA is what people generically call the acceptance checklist for 510Ks. Okay. Because um, they, the, they have the refuse to accept policy. But in all, there is eight acceptance checklists. So, and this really does carry through for most of them. So there is checklists for 510Ks. There's three of them. There's checklists for de novos. That actually is a substantive review. There's a checklist for HDEs. There's a um, couple checklists for PMAs, and then there's also a checklist for IDEs. So FDA has made an abundance of checklists. And so I would I would go through and look at all of those. 
those different types of submissions, or even when preparing to write those submissions to, to see what FDA is looking at. So other than having like an Angela Mallory in their pocket to help them uh, uh, navigate yes. that, how do people figure out what checklist apply to them? So knowing what submission you're going to do is, is first and foremost the most helpful. So if you have a low to moderate risk device, you're going to be doing a 510K or de novo. Those checklists are very similar to each other with the de novo having a couple different sparkly bits and the 510K also having some different different bits, but all in all, they're, they're all intents and purposes. They're, they're the same. So if you don't know what type of submission you're going to do, I would highly recommend you do a pre-sub and find that out. But you should know what type of submission you have going into your development. It's a little bit helpful to know the barriers you're going to be coming up against. Okay. And then building on like that same topic to like knowing what those submissions are. And just for audience out there, you mentioned um, HDE, uh, PMA, IDE. If you can like, define those terminologies so before you move on. So, yeah. Sure. So 510Ks are for low to moderate risk devices. They are generally class two devices, things like guide wires and catheters and personal lubricants. And then you go to de novos and those are more novel products that are also low risk, but they may be the first of its kind to market. So those are going to go through a de novo process they're going to have to show a little bit of risk and benefit and clinical utility out there. HDEs are humanitarian device exemption products. Those are orphan devices um, that they have a very specific use for a very specific unmet population need and less than 8,000 patients uh, a year or more must have that condition before they qualify. Um, PMA, pre-market approval, those are your high risk class three devices like heart valves and, and brain implants, those go through the most scrutiny and almost always have some type of clinical data. And then IDEs are your clinical trials for significant risk devices. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's just to make sure we're all on the same page on those terminologies. Oh, yes, <laughs> that was so succinct. Like, usually when I think of like orphan products and I start like thinking about Oliver Twist and then my brain just goes off and wrong direction so i really appreciate the nice clean description <laughs> but to keep us on track to keep us on track so you mentioned that there's a there's there's a 15 day like window everything kind of goes through look at your submission right make the yep. determination whether or not um you have everything you need for me i that's like one of the most nervous times even though i've looked at a checklist i've checked everything but from your point of view have you had any issues within those 15 days like has everybody come back to you let's say on, on day seven and says hey Angela, oh, we think something loads. here is missing boatloads boatloads so i have done a lot of 510ks i've done a lot of submissions i've probably done three four hundred submissions in my lifetime and fda still comes back so it's not necessarily your fault they come back let me put it out there it may not be your fault it's okay so don't get hung up on getting an rta back i have gotten them back so let me start with the weird and obscure. So um, I put put in a suture 510K. FDA came back with a whole list of RTAs, including include a drawing of your suture. So I, I responded back with a drawing of a line. <laughs> Needle of suture. Don't, don't know what they were expecting. That's the same one that asked for um, the words 510K summary on the top of the 510K summary. They have asked for um, uh, more robust device descriptions. Um, like they wanted specifically the amount of, of material in each part of my device. 
It's not something I normally put in my device submissions, how much PBAX is in my catheter. Um, they wanted um, what type of contact. So in my, in my biocomp section, we said we were a limited contact. We didn't say what type of contact, although it was fairly obvious from the device and the drawings and the biocomp we did, what type of device it was. So that's, that's an example of kind of the check the box. I got asked to include a statement about why I didn't include any financial forms because I had no clinical trials. So normally we just say we don't need them. And, but then there are some substantial stuff that I can see FDA going, oh, yes, we need this more at this point, like um, prior FDA feedback. So sometimes when you respond to, so you do get a pre-sub, you get feedback on your pre-sub, you need to disclose that in your submissions. And FDA wants to know how you're responding to their feedback. Sometimes we keep it light saying we responded in the bench texting section or this, and they wanted more detail. And I can see that happening. So there are some that that are logical and some that are not. And the next question that I feel you're going to (laughs) ask is, is how do you deal with this? Yes, that's that's where I was going. And just to like set it up too. So we did some research, right? And um, we went back to like, we looked at physical year 2018 to physical year 2022. And it says on average, and this is FDA's data, like 30% of, um, let's say, a 510K submission is going to be sent back or re- or rejected um, because of an RTA issue, right? Uh, or there's going to be a refuse to accept that's, that, that's given. So when you do get that, hey, we had an RTA issue, can you like walk us through like timing-wise? Do I need to like respond to this within the first hour or do I have some time or... What is your like step process to working with a client to ensure that we get the information that you need to respond? First, first I go through the five, the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross five stages of grief and bereavement. (laughs) First thing we do is because we get, we get angry and we start bargaining and, and denial and, and, but so I, I alternate between bargaining and denial and acceptance. And finally I, I decide that, there's there's the four quadrants of importance, right? The the hard and important ones and the easy and stupid questions. I will take the easy and stupid questions all day long and, and just roll my eyes at them. Like including a diagram of a suture is easy. It doesn't take me any extra time. Um, on the other total end of the spectrum, I have had FDA come back in an RTA say, I need you to support your three-year shelf life with real-time aged units. That is huge and important and ugly and horrible. So so first we talk about feelings for a while in the RTA and then we get down to work. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. I do this. I, I oscillate my feelings through through the cycle every day. But if, with an RTA, FDA gives you 180 days to respond. And that's 180 days from the date they sent the email. If they send the email at 10 o'clock at night, that counts as day one. FYI. Yeah. FDA has a dashboard now for the the portal. Use that portal if you submit because it shows you what days FDA is thinking about. So the 180 days is important. If you miss that date, they will kick you out and you have to resubmit and start everything all over again. So I've had that happen a few times with clients that they missed that date. So the portal makes it easy to keep track. See, this is, to me, a very interesting subject only from the fact that on the quality side of things, I'm the one 
who's used to, you know, doing the work and, uh, you know, working with the engineering side. But honestly, in my career, I've had very little interaction with the FDA. I create the work and then I hand it to the regulatory team and they, and then they do all the magic. Right. Yeah. So it's, int- I mean, I honestly wasn't aware of the, of these windows and, um, I think that's important. And I've seen the portal, but only because I think one of you guys directed it to me one time. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I do I do like that as a communication tool. I can't even imagine what life was like before having that to be able uh, to look at things. It was things in the back of my notebook, right? It was keeping track of K numbers and Q numbers and, and submissions in the back of my notebook. But um, but yeah, it's it's so much more easy now. Also, FDA is more flexible and less scary now, I want to say. Than they were in years past. FDA before used to be, you used to have a lot of reverence and you didn't used to joke around with them too much. Now with the more face-to-face pre-subs and now Zoom meetings, I just talk to them like human beings. So it's that's actually been a lot easier from the most from, from most most parts of things. Is that FDA really is more human now? That's so. great. That's good to hear because yeah, I, I do remember from my previous career. They would be very restrictive on who could interact with the FDA. Yeah. Just for that fear of saying the wrong thing and or going out of scope and things like that. So, and you often have meetings after you get FDA feedback where you sit down and make sure that, okay, did we interpret this information correctly? Because they're not going to provide us with any clarity on what they were asking here. So we have to try to, you know, do some code breaking and figure it out. But if the communication pathway is better, you can get that clarity before you resubmit and then Absolutely. hopefully that makes everybody's life easier. And there's other avenues too. So like with, when you get your RTA hold, you do have a window to talk to FDA about those holds. And I have done that. Say have FDA, I need clarification on this specific item, right? Especially like that real time aging. That was a huge thing, right? So we did need clarification on that. And we did take the whole 779 days to reply to that. So um, because we were waiting for our product to age during that time. (laughs) Interestingly (laughs) enough, when you respond to an RTA, you go through another RTA process when they get it back. And it it may be a whole new RTA. So in that I submitted, I got new questions back that second time through. So and one of them was even more interesting than, than the first one. It's a lot of questions, <laughs> um, but oh, yes. so, so something that we also try to like do when we have these these talks is that we want to look at what we call green flags, right? So the question we have for you is this time: so what are some steps that you take to ensure that you have a successful, I guess, RTA process? Like you kind of get through. Like, do you take your time to review your submissions, um, make sure that whatever if something is missing, either there's a proper rationale or it's properly clear? Like, what steps do you take? to try to minimize, if possible, like you said, if possible, not getting that RTA hold. Yes. So I'm going to go off script here for a while. So we know the RTAs, four, five, 10Ks are going away soon. So they're going away because we're moving to the E-Star format. So E-Star is coming up October 1st for five, 10Ks. It's still going to be optional for de novos, but for five, 10Ks, everyone needs to follow E-Star coming up. So my recommendation starting now is to start doing E-Star when you can. Um, I have one in process right now, and there is going to be a learning curve because there's a lot more information in there than you've put in your 510K or in your RTA before. So 
they are extracting a lot of things out of reports and putting them in there. So that that is one thing that I would do is make sure you're familiar with the E-STAR format. If you don't want to do that right now, you want to do traditional, absolutely, you can do that. Start putting in there um, why you are not doing things. If you do not include, and, and uh, this is what I tell people, one of the keys about regulatory that no one tells you, regulatory is more important about explaining why you're not doing something than why you are doing something. So FDA wants to know why you're not doing electrical safety testing. My device does not contain electrical components. It seems simple, but you need to put that in there. Angela, I wished you would have told me that years ago. Um, my wife is a regulatory affairs manager, and if I had that tidbit of information, I probably would have saved myself many nights on the couch to know that I need to explain why I'm not doing things as often as why I am. <laughs> oh, it, it, it follows through to all aspects of life. I did take out the trash because of these reasons. Man, oh, man. All right, pop quiz. What does E-STAR stand for? It's got to be an acronym, right? It does. I, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Limford? What, I do don't know. know. I, okay. I, I'm i going to go on Limford's electronic, and then after that, I don't know what the STAR part means. Right? Submission, <laughs> tracking, acceptance. I Googled okay. it. Oh, it's, yep. <laughs> it's electronic submission template for medical devices. But. So there's a the A and the R are just yeah. fun. So, oh, wait, no, I guess not. So, well, that's what E-STAR is for, but yeah. It must have a name. It's like clinical trial. Fit something in there. So I I recommend that you have a podcast on E-STAR at some point because, oh my goodness, it's going to rock people to their core. So So Rich, what I'm hearing is that Andrew would like to come back again to do a podcast on E-STAR. And the launch of E-STAR. Yeah. Love to do one. I'm sorry. We can look forward to it's electronic submission template and resource. That's how we get E-Star. Resource. Go. Oh, because yeah. I can hit the little I button. It tells me what I already know. There you go. <laughs> what to put in that section. Awesome. So, yeah, following the checklist. So, so in, in preparations for that, I downloaded all the checklists. So I will have them because they will eventually go away and you won't be able to find them. So if you like the checklists, if you like using them just for your own sanity reasons, I, w- I would download them now because they are going to go away at some point. Yeah. And I would say like, so for me, when you do submissions, we kind of, st- I, I kind of start with the checklist, right? Because you're trying to make sure that you can communicate either to your client, hey, this is what we would need for the submission. Here's the reasons why. What is our response going to be like? Do we have it? Like as you mentioned, or what's the reason why we're not doing it? So it's kind of like, you know, you kind of like building up your, your submission. So the checklist I find to be very, very useful. And to Angela's earlier point, towards the end, you go back, what page number is this on? Where is this located? Where can I find this? <laughs> Just to make sure that the checklist is properly filled out as well. Um, so it's, I think I'm kind of happy it's kind of going away because it takes time, <laughs> um, honestly, but it's still kind of good to know that your submission, for the most part, you have checked the box of what's needed in your submission. I don't know if Angela, if you'll say if that works for you as well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's helpful if you've missed something, you know, oh my gosh, I forgot to put in my instruction, you know, my indications for use form, right? But what it won't do is, is your description good enough? Is it hitting all the right notes that FDA expects in their mind, right? That they want to see. So that those are the things that it, it won't hit. And weirdnesses, you know, it won't catch the weirdnesses. Um, anything with a specific 
guidance for a, if you have a, like a PTC, a catheter, there's guidances out on that. So it won't catch those things as, as well. So. Okay. What would you say are some common mistakes that you've seen or maybe gaps that were missing from the checklist that you wished you had seen, you know, included, or maybe, you know, they've made up for with ESTAR moving forward. So ESTAR actually, I think is a step backwards in some aspects because what I like about 510Ks and how I write them, it's a personal preference is I write them as all one document. So I write them starting with, you know, table of contents, cover letter, all the way through to why I don't have software in my product. ESTAR, everything's in chunks. So you have to attach the device description as a separate document to that section. So um, chunking it out that way. So I think what ESTAR is going to force us to do is really focus on each section independently rather than a cohesive story. So I miss, I will miss that part about 510Ks is that cohesive story about things, about tables and figures and referring back. I miss the story. Yeah, again, for me, you know, I, I just regulatory, I work with, I've worked with them to figure out what are the, the deliverables we need to give you, but, um, but uh, I've never had any experience in, in the crafting of the message that you actually send on to the regulatory agencies. So it is a craft. It is still a craft. And I will, I will credit my friend Brian for coming up with the term story because it really is a story. Um, you start at the beginning and you craft it and you foreshadow and you have villains and heroines and take them through, through the story to the very end. And you say, yes, yes, we're all amazing. We're safe and effective. And the same as predicate. And so then the FDA is the publisher. Um, I'm trying to think of like the big publishing company names out there, but yeah. <laughs> Simon and Schuster. And, so, they're the Simon and Schuster. Oh, who do I have in my background? Where are my books on my table? So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it'll be interesting, but I mean, it's, it's good to have, I like bumpers. I like tools. A checklist are like your, your, your regulatory person in the cube next to you, you always have them review it too, to make sure that you don't miss something because you're too familiar with it. That checklist forces you to do some things. Although I will admit, I got uh, I got an RTA hit a couple, couple months ago for something that I had read a thousand times and never understood in the checklist. It was about um, something specific to combination products and something that I had to declare regarding patents. And it never had that ever resonated with me in all the years of reading the checklist until I got, until I had to really understand it. So. I mean, every submission is its own pathway, right? I mean. It's its own bio. Presented, you have, yeah, it's its own bio. I like that because, you know, it's, it's going to be affected by what part of FDA is reviewing it. It's going to be affected by the reviewer and their experience. Um and, so. and I will tell you too that so the I, I have had to have a call with FDA saying this reviewer this RTA is out of alignment with reality um, because that that is a possibility too if you get an RTA back that is a hot hot mess that seems overly wackadoo you can raise that level up to to the to the division director. And, and have that conversation too. So don't think that you are stuck with things forever. I have had to do that and they have gone away. 
But I definitely wouldn't want that to be the first step. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it was the first step only because it was a long step, but it was like the last step of like a three-year journey, right? So, but most of the time I will accept the craziness that FDA wants me to do because they're not expensive or they're not timely. And I can just, you have to decide that, you know, this phrase is, do you want to die on this hill? And and often that is not a hill I want to die on, sending a picture of a suture, but I will, <laughs> I will die on some other ones. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, again, just to like, um, you know, kind of like kind of wrap up what we talked about earlier and kind of put the story towards the end. And just to let, I guess, our clients understand is that even we get through that RTA process, that 15 days, and it's accepted for review, right? <laughs> That yes. just means that we're starting that process, right? Angela? Like, 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 like this. How, how do you like expand to the kind of you know we have this is like our first, let's say, milestone, right? Yeah. And then yeah. how do we kind of like how do you like explain that to? Yeah. The so yeah, and and any when you're doing your five ten k, you should set your up your expectations with management far far ahead, so they they don't have the expectation that ninety days later they're going to be able to sell the product. So. Setting these expectations up is is one of the things a regulatory person should do. But the the phases are, you know, you accept it, you, you submit your submission. Within a day or two of receiving at FDA, you'll get back your official K number. Then within 15 days, about two weeks, generally it happens sooner if there's no problems. You'll get your acceptance email that everything is everything is good and you are in the review cycle counting down days. Between day 45 and day 60 is when you can expect your first hold letter. And it has happened with all of my submissions except for one um, that I have gotten hold letters. So it is just something that we plan for. You're, and you get a hold letter, the clock at FDA stops, and then it doesn't start again until you have responded to their, their requests. And then they pick up their clock again and, and start moving forward. So the whole process generally takes four to six months. Um, the, the timing depends on how long it takes you to respond. So FDA has three months. Anything else is based upon how long it takes us to respond as, uh, to FDA feedback. Angela, I cannot thank you enough. Honestly, a little at a time. You can send some chocolate. And yeah. it's, oh, listen, we, we would have to look at the RA cafe, RAQA cafe budget. Um, oh, Rich, I think we have like 50 cents. Um, we'll, we'll see what we could buy. We can see what we could buy. No, but seriously, thank you enough. Um, the time like really went by. I, I didn't realize that we're talking about this for like more than 20 minutes, honestly. But we do have you. We have you on, recorded to come back again to join us yes. to discuss E-Star oh, yeah. and any other topics that, that come up. Um, honestly, I think depending on the feedback, um, I think this will be taken well. And again, we can't th- thank you enough. No problem. Love to, love to do this. So awesome. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Angela. You're welcome. We do have homework, Rich. Don't forget, we have to look into the budget to get some some chocolates. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you intend to review the transcript or to review today's podcast, the transcripts can be found at www.namsa.com. For our next episode, we would like to discuss the role of software in medical therapy. And what does that mean? How is software being used? And how does FDA the importance of the evaluation for software. Thank you and hope to see you next time.